Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we are continuing uh, what I call Career Week here on G's Power Hour. It gives you all a chance to get to know some people in their respective fields and, um, you know, just find out what, you know, how they got there and also what they have to offer in terms of career advice for your kids, your grandkids, nieces, nephews, cousins that are, you know, considering, trying to consider what career path they want to do and, um, you know, how to get there. So this morning we are welcoming back one of our former guests. I usually call upon her around this time of year anyway, usually a little earlier, trying to get information on family, especially everybody um, trying to plan family reunions, but how to do the research. Um, so she is back with us today. Miss Allison Rial is with us um, to talk about genealogy. Good morning. How are you, ma'am? I am fantastic. How are you doing? I am doing well. I always look forward to having you on. So thank you for making the return trip. Really appreciate it. So how things been going? Things have been going really good, been very busy and uh, loving what I'm doing and working with families and people. And I've gotten into uh, forensic genetic genealogy where I get to work with some law enforcement and solve some cold case crimes on top Ooh. of everything I do at the Orange County Library System. Uh, and I also teach genealogy, so everything genealogy all day long and uh, absolutely love what I'm doing. Okay, so let me ask, because I was, I was kind of curious earlier this morning. I'm like, were you one of those kids that actually liked homework and doing the research and all of that type of stuff? No, I didn't. <laughs> really, you know, if you, if you went back to, like, my elementary or my high school teachers, they would be like, she's doing what? <laughs> that wasn't who I was then, but. I will uh-huh. tell you, my my mom was an educator. She was a, a teacher. So I had okay. education always always heavily uh, imposed on me. And I played musical instruments from a very early age. And I didn't realize it, but my brain worked to solve problems. And I do attribute that to starting a musical instrument like at the age of five. But I didn't okay. understand how my brain worked that way until I was much older. So, um, uh-huh. you know, just... I've always been able to look at something and try to find a solution or multiple options. And it kind of 
navigated me into this crime solving area that I'm in now, uh, working with DNA and things like that. So it ended up being a natural fit, but it was much later in life when I actually came into it and realized it. Right, because some of that in, on the scale that you work on is kind of new anyway, because we realize now that a lot of these cold cases are being solved with new technology. So, I mean, we always know, knew there was DNA, but how to access it and make it work for us in terms of doing things like solving crimes, especially old crimes where there was just limited, um, you know, DNA uh, there's wonders being worked now, and, and, you know, we're bringing closure to a lot of people now because of that. So uh, absolutely, tell, absolutely let's, yeah. Let, tell us, first of all, how you got started on your path. When, when was it, what was it that made you say, this is it? So this is almost a, a fairly personal story. You know, I had gone to college, I mean, gone to high school, did a little bit of college, didn't finish a degree, and ended up falling into a job where I was doing marketing for a major radio company. And I did it. It was an income, but it really wasn't a passion. Um, I had some things in life. I got married, had kids, all that fun stuff, and uh, had to move because of my husband's job. And where I moved to was a much more rural area didn't really, couldn't really do radio marketing. There wasn't like major corporations there. Like I I had been living in a major city. So I made the decision to go back to school. Um, I had always loved genealogy. Genealogy was um, very personal to me. My, on my dad's side of the family, his mom, my grandma was into genealogy. And as a kid, I thought, uh, you know, it's not something that a lot of kids necessarily pay attention to. And then around the year 2000, my grandfather on my mother's side passed away, and he was a Russian immigrant, and he had left behind a baby brother in Russia who he hadn't heard from since the start of World War II. And on my grandfather's deathbed, I promised him that I would figure out what happened to his baby brother. So while I already had started to be interested in genealogy, that really sparked it because now I wanted to solve a family mystery. And that family mystery sent me back to college, got me three college degrees, two bachelors, a master's, and I went and lived in Russia. Learned to speak the language at the time. Can't speak it anymore, but I did at the time in the early 2000s in order to keep my promise to my grandfather on his deathbed. And I did figure out what had ended up happening. That's a whole long story, so I won't digress onto that. Uh, but then when I came back, you know, genealogy now was very personal and a very passionate situation for me. And I started volunteering with a lot of genealogy organizations. I was living in the New England area. Um, there's a major conference up there called the New England Regional Genealogical Conference. And I started volunteering. And my marketing background that I had had in radio tied in nicely. They needed someone who could help them plan conferences, who could help market the conference, and who could put the program together. So the logistical end of fitting the topics into tracks and everything. And I started doing all of that. And by volunteering is when I met everybody in the field, or at least in the New England area. So I started a lot of networking, um, started growing from there. I was taking clients, but it was on a small level. You know, if somebody needed a lookup or had a question, I tried to help them. And then there was a woman I had met through my volunteer efforts. I did put in a lot of hundreds of volunteer hours, and her name was Melindy Let's Now Burn, and she started a program at Boston University. 
where uh, people could come who were interested in genealogy and they could get a certificate. It's in Boston University's Metropolitan College, their continuing education department. And this was maybe 15 years ago. And um, she started, you know, she did this program and people could get a certificate. And when I started, I was on a lower level. I was kind of assisting the other teachers in the program. It was originally on campus. Um, it was in a computer lab, and I was very strong with computer skills, so I would help some of the other teachers as they were teaching. If the students had computer questions, I'd help with that. And eventually, that program got moved to being an online program, and that's where I had the ability to tie everything I had ever done together. I had my marketing. I had my genealogy. I had my computer expertise, my technology expertise, and I started teaching for Boston University. And I'm still doing that. 15 years later, I still teach in their genealogy program. Um, and as part of that, uh, Orange County Library System here in Florida had a position for a genealogy specialist. And this is what I love about the Orange County Library System is they don't just hire librarians. They hire people who are truly subject matter experts in a variety of areas in order to best reach our patrons, the people who you know need the library services. So. In 2015, I got that job and came here and started working as the genealogy specialist for the Orange County Library System while I was still teaching for Boston University online. And through my efforts here in Orange County, I got to meet a lot of different people. This is around the time DNA became very big, consumer using DNA anyways. And so I learned everything I needed to know for the DNA end of it, for the genealogy end of it. And I got to meet a lot of interesting people, many of them working in law enforcement. Some of our uh, people from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, our Orange County Sheriff's Office, uh, were utilizing the services of the library. And I got to meet them, and it kind of propelled me into the area of DNA. And I got to do some teaching sessions with the Orange County Sheriff's Department and got to meet some important people at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and ended up little by little networking, just being in the right place at the right time, having the skill sets that people were looking for, um, and ended up eventually, I now work for a laboratory called Bodie Technologies. They're in Virginia, and they have contracts with law enforcement, both uh, local agencies around the United States, as well as the big national agencies, and I've even done some things with Interpol. Um, and whatever cases come my way through Bodie Technology, I work on. So that's that's kind of the overview of my career on how it developed. That is just fascinating. Uh, that and it's great when you're able to pull all your life skills and and previous career skills together to to you know use them in a way that you just kind of didn't think of maybe before you know. But then you know when the time comes and the right opportunity comes, it just all kind of converges together. So that's I, I'm glad to hear that for you. So, but that's, I was going to ask you about the Boston or uh, Orange County thing. I, I was like, are you commuting or whatever? Do you ever go up there or are you just uh, primarily uh, online with them? I am online with Boston now. When they originally started, like I said, 14, 15 years ago, it was started as a in-classroom uh, teaching. And it was only held on Saturdays. So we would go through the whole semester, and we would teach on Saturdays. It would be a day-long thing on Saturdays. But eventually, we had a lot of interest from people who live in places other than Boston. You know, they're around the United States. We've had international students. 
and there was this demand for online learning. And so that's when the program transitioned to an online class, and it's no longer taught in the classroom. So when I was living in New England, I was in the state of Maine, I would drive back and forth to Boston for that. But then when it went online, just teach from wherever I am, the comfort of my home. There have been days I've actually been on vacation. I've been on a cruise ship, and I've been teaching my class, you know, at Boston University from the comfort of the cruise ship. So, uh, you know, really <laughs> love you know, the modern, you know, technology in the modern day because it allows so much freedom. You can keep doing your jobs and be passionate about it, but it could almost be anywhere in the world and still be able to keep, you know, working and doing and accomplishing things. So what is the biggest change that you've seen in your career in terms of how the work is done, how the discoveries are made, um, and, and what kind of doors are you unlocking with this? Um, I think, you know, as far as like the forensic genetic genealogy, uh, that, of course, is a new field. You know, I'm sure most people have heard about crimes being solved through DNA. And, of course, the big one everyone knows was the Golden State Killer. That was a, a colleague of mine, Barbara Ray Venter, was involved in that case. Uh, she's credited with being one of the people that solved that and worked heavily with the FBI and things on that. And that was kind of like the groundbreaking case. Some of us were doing some dabbling before that, but that kind of like busted the doors down, so to say. And um, ever since then, you know, we have a lot of different, there's a lot of different private labs. Like I said, Bodhi Technology that I work for, it's a private lab, but there's other ones like Parabon and Othram and uh, a whole bunch out there. And then, of course, all the state crime labs are working as well. Um, so, you know, it's the technology end of it. It's knowing, you know, how this DNA works and how we can take some DNA that's left behind at a crime scene and process that and being able to use it, compare it to other people's DNA and build family trees to identify who that sample is. You know, you leave drops of blood behind or, you know, some other biological material and we can figure out who you are from leaving that behind at a crime scene. And, you know, that's all fairly new science for the most part, at least on a, you know, on a public end within the last 20 to 30 years. So it's still a very new field. And, you know, who knows what the future will bring. Um, as far as breaking doors down, I know there's a couple of uh, gentlemen who former, formerly with the FBI, they're trying to find ways to automate this. So, um, you know, artificial intelligence, AI, you know, people talk about chat, GBT, but a lot of the AI stuff, that, that is coming into the field now. It's, it's not there yet, but it's developing. So everything we're doing, hopefully in time, can be done a lot quicker and a lot faster, you know, through the use of, you know, AI types of programs that can make connections and start to build family trees and everything. So we're only just beginning to see the start of that right now. So that would be the new exciting things to look forward to in the field. I'm curious in terms of in your research, um, how, when you come when you're doing, for example, uh, family tree type research, um, and you come across things like uh, people that are ne not necessarily linked by blood, like their family, they may be adopted, or they may have just, for example, uh, been connected together. And I know, for example, with um, former slave, you know, families of former slaves. You know that that may be an issue in particular. How? What other methods other than blood are you using to try to solve these particular uh, cases, or you know, look, try to um, you know 
shed light on these relationships? So if we're outside of law enforcement, if I'm just working with patrons at the library who come in and uh, need assistance trying to build their family tree or perhaps they're trying to solve, you know, their own problems, uh, their own family mm-hmm. questions, things like that. We use, and even with DNA, we still have to use a paper trail. That means we use the standard genealogical documents. And there are so many things that we can use. There can be like a um, census records and vital records, of course, your birth, your death, your marriage records. We have probate records, and we have land records and military records, church records, cemetery <laughs> records. Um, you know, immigration records, naturalization, ship passenger manifest, and on and on. So any type of created document, you know, can help build a case for a, whatever your genealogical research question is. Genealogy really is a scientific field. It's a social science. And we have standards that we use. We, we work to what is called the genealogical proof standard. And we follow like a hypothesis uh, and proving or disproving that hypothesis, just like you do if you were working, you know, in a lab or in another type of science field. Um, so we use all of this combined in order to build family te- trees and make connections. And when we're doing that, we try to start in the present, like start with yourself, and we try to work back one generation at a time, always making, you know, making sure of that connection as we go to the next generation. Um, You know, we have all different types of techniques, even if, you know, sometimes people will come in uh, and I'll work with them at the library, and they're perhaps building their direct family line, their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. But let's say they can't figure out who great-grandpa is. Well, maybe sometimes we need to look at their grand, you know, their grandparents' siblings. So if you can't find the answers to your questions by going through your direct line, sometimes you have to look at the others. So we use what is called the FAN network. Uh, That's a term that was coined by a well-known genealogist, Elizabeth Shell Mills. And it refers to family and friends and ancestors and neighbors. So we're looking at everybody who was around the person that we're trying to find information about. You know, it's interesting. We've had, I've worked on cases where someone's asking a question that can't find anything about, you know, said ancestor. But here that said ancestor was interacting. Perhaps they were a witness on their neighbor's um, military service uh, papers. Perhaps they interacted, they went to a store that kept paper records, and we can find them uh, having transactions at the store, puts them in a place, puts them in a time, Um, you know, all kinds of, they might be in another person's diary that they're not even related to. You know, we have cases of like midwives. Um, They're really fantastic cases, actually African-American midwife in Georgia in the 1950s and 60s, she was trying to uh, help women and helped deliver women and eventually ended up building a a hospital. But her diaries log all of her interactions with all of these mothers and the children that they had given birth to. So sometimes we have to look to sources that may not even have been created by somebody that the person was related to in order to find out information on them. It's And it's interesting in this day and age of, you know, computers and stuff that, you still have to go and use the paper trail. And that's one of the reasons, like I tell a lot of people with, um, especially African-Americans, with funeral programs. And, yes, you had a lot of people who were like family, you know, and there's a way to mention them. But, you know, your funeral programs, especially for African-Americans, need to be accurate because there's a lot of stuff that we can't 
trace back to, you know, because there, there's missing data, you know. Yes, and the funeral programs, of course, are really big in the African-American culture. I think it's the University of Georgia. It's one of the universities mm-hmm. in Georgia um, that has an, a funeral program collection. And I think it can be accessed through the Digital Public Library of America off the top of my head. I hope I'm not confusing the online sources. But um, I have had a lot of luck helping a person. They were researching someone who had died like in Michigan, but yet the University of Georgia had that man's funeral program. And it had information that no other genealogy sources had. Um, And it was a gold mine. So, you know, there are uh, some of the universities, I don't know if we're doing that in Florida, but I definitely know that, you know, Georgia universities have this funeral program collection and they accept them from around the, the United States and will archive it for African-Americans. So um, definitely a really good source, yes. So you probably should just get an extra program and send it there so at least it's on file <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> so right. I didn't know about that, right. so that that is – that's good to know. So yeah. we're going to take a quick break. We're here with Allison. And I do I pronounce your name correct? I said Ryle. Is that correct? That's right, Ryle. Yes. Ryle. Okay. All right. And she's a forensic genetic genealogist. She works at the uh, West Oaks, uh branch of the Orange County Library System on uh, Silver Star near Clark Road. That's correct. That's where you're still working out of, right? I am, yes. Okay, good. And and she's doing a whole bunch of other stuff. If you have questions, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We're talking with Allison Ryle, who is a forensic genetic genealogist and she you know is working to help solve not just not only you know family history uh complications you know in terms of tra- tracing family history but also helping to solve cold cases now too and that's, and I know that that's a big fascination with all of the crime scene um CSI and all those other shows NCIS all those other shows that are on now um you know you're doing it in real life so do you have courses that you took, Allison, as a student that went as you moved forward, you looked back and said, I'm glad I took that class, or any that you didn't take that you said, I wish I had taken that class? Well, 
the one that probably impacted me the most as a human being, not necessarily for my career, wasn't necessarily career training, was actually my sociology class. Um, you know, when I took sociology, it kind of lifted this magical veil off of the world, you know, that I had been walking under. And it, sociology, to me, really showed the different power angles between different people in society, uh, who holds the power, who doesn't, and how that impacts decisions. So it, it, you know, looking at, you know, psychology is more like individual choices and what's going on in the individual, but sociology is all of those layers in society that I had never thought about was never really positioned to me until I took that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I saw the world completely differently after my sociology class. So that's the one as far as educating me as a person that I look back on and probably had one of the greatest impacts on my life um, was definitely, you know, the sociology classes that I took. That's interesting because, yeah, it does kind of uh, peel back layers for you in terms of, you know, you, you come in thinking about, you know, life in one way because of the way you grew up, you know, or the people you associated with. But then sociology gives you a different perspective from other you know, cultures and, and, you know, says, oh, you know, I, I could have looked at this this way A instead of this way B or vice versa, you know, so. Right. Sociology really- brought all of those invisible things that happen in society that, you know, as a child and young adult, I just was oblivious to, never thought of, nobody pointed them out. So that sociology mm-hmm. class made the invisible visible to me. And it made me now really consciously, I stop and think when I'm interacting, you know, with people or watching what is happening in society and the, the layers that are there. Um, and I, you know, I think that's really important to, you know, the education of an individual um, just as a general human being, not necessarily for a specific career, but it also does help in the career place as well, because part of it is, you know, helping you understand others and showing, you know, compassion and maybe providing a little bit of insight into why is somebody behaving this way or why are they choosing these things? You know, it gives you a little bit of um, understanding um, into that as well. So, what you know, if you're let's say deciding classes for the upcoming uh, semester, let's say high school or college, um, what would you recommend that someone delve into? I'm sure sociology obviously is, is a primary one, but if they were to go into a field where you are now, how would they start out? What, what would you suggest? So the field that I am in now, now I wasn't able to do this because this field has been emerging since I've been in the career, um, but science is heavy in this field. You know, you do need math and you do need science. You need biology, you know, and all of those basic uh, career things as well. But if you're going to combine it in a way uh, like I do with genealogy, you also need history. So it's kind of an interesting blend. Um, There are college programs out there for forensic genetic genealogy, but they are basing on you already having a uh, undergraduate, and some of them are requiring a master's degree now. Um, We have two major programs. If you're interested in getting into forensic genetic genealogy, Ramapo College in New Jersey has a program, 
and the University of New Haven also has one. Uh, University of New Haven, however, you have to already have a master's degree. It's like a master's certificate. Um, and I think Ramapo requires you to have a bachelor's degree, but not a master's degree. So, you know, it's, it's, there's no easy career track to be what I'm doing. Um, I got as far as I did by starting in genealogy and following my passion. Uh, and, you know, people always say that, follow your passion. But for a long time, I felt like I was wandering in the dark because genealogy isn't exactly a high-paying field, and I was trying to raise a family. So, you know, that's where I kind of jumped around a little bit. But then once I was able to start teaching in the field, lecturing in the field, and then the library, and then doing the cases as well, then it kind of all came together and was able to make a, you know, a livable, survivable uh, salary you know, in the field. Yeah, because I think some people think you go to school, you graduate, and then, you know, you just automatically going to follow this path A, B, C, D, and E, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and this is how you get there. And your, yours is a path that definitely uh, took some twists and turns getting there. Absolutely. And, you know, with everybody that I happen to work with, and even those I've encountered in my life who aren't necessarily in my career field, very rarely you have the person working in the field in which they originally started, you know, in college for. So if somebody's looking or just starting into college and going, what do I do? Try to pick the thing that appeals to you most, but life is going to have plans and ways that you just can't even see now. You know, the biggest piece of advice I have is try to, you know, volunteer, get out there. If you're interested in a specific field, try to network, try to build relationships. Because when I look back for me, everything that was a major career pushing forward all came about because of my networking and who I happened to know. I was a lot of serendipity. I was in the right place at the right time, happened to have the skill set necessary. So I put in the hard work, put in the education, but there was also that component of who I knew and um, being in the right place at the right time when it was needed that really got me to where I am today. So that's a big portion. You know, we, we push our young people to go to school and get degrees, and that's absolutely important. But don't forget, try to know people while you're there. You know, if you're a shy person, try to find a way, go to conferences in your field or network with your professors. Ask them, you know, how can you move forward? How can you know more people? Can you do an internship? Can you volunteer somewhere? Because those are those connections that are going to end up making a difference career-wise for you down the road. At least it did for me. We're going to take our next break. We're here with Allison Ryall. She's a forensic genetic genealogist, and you can also find her and take some of her classes at the Orange County Library, the branch in West Oaks off of um, Silver Star and Clark Road in Ocoee. And so, and if you have questions now, the number is 516-387-1944. Dee's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple, dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720, Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. 
Hi, I'm Tim Garrison. Uh, you may know me as Timmy G. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the argument. And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, on KHAM Radio. Are you chilling? Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us. We are here today with Allison Rael. She's been on with us before to talk about tracing that family tree, you know, as we, you know, try to prepare for our family reunions and, and other, you know, get-togethers with family or just trying to um, get information for our children. I cannot tell you how many uh, relatives I've talked to that have had uh, children that have come home from, let's say, high school or college and said, you know, I met this guy, I met this girl, and da-da-da, and it's like, no, 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 you can't um, you can't hang out with them in that way because they are family. Um, <laughs> I almost had an incident like that myself in high school many, many years ago. So uh, it's it's important to be able to know what's going on with your family history, and she is one of those people that helps with that. Um but I do have to ask you a question getting back to the career path. And you were saying that, like, a couple of these places require a master's. So what would you actually take a master's in? I guess that's what I would like to know. So, you know, a lot of people coming into the forensic genetic genealogy, we have diverse backgrounds. I came into this field through uh, genealogy. So my degrees, I have two bachelors. I have one in Russian studies and one in history. And then I have a master's degree in American and New England studies. And American and New England studies is kind of like a cross degree. It's mostly history kind of based, but it also deals with how regions of the country perceive different things. You know, it's living in New England, of course, is different than living in, you know, Arizona or Texas. So there, there's these regional differences, and that's what the master's degree was about. Um, but a lot of people coming into the field have bachelor's degrees in sciences. So it might be in, in biology and then a master's and, you know, a specialized area of biology or things like that. So it, there's no one way to get there into this field. So when you're saying, what is the degree in? Well, it depends, you know, for me, mine was in a, uh, you know, liberal arts kind of field, but other people come into it having a very strict science kind of field. So there's um, open, way to get there. It's not like a one one way only path, at least in the field for now. Um, this mm-hmm. field has a lot of changes happening in it. And, you know, some states are trying to enact legislation and setting certain requirements for people who work in the field. So that may be changing in the future. But at the moment, there's no specific degree or path that you have to do in order to be able to do it. It's about it's about being passionate, and you, number one, have got to love genealogy, and you have to know how to solve genealogical problems. So um, while a lot of people were enticed by the sparkle of the DNA connection, it's really the hardcore genealogy connections and how to find sources and resources and make connections across generations that is important to working in the field. So now, so the field that you're currently, um, you know, doing a lot of work in, in terms of uh, assisting with uh, the cold cases and what, can you talk? Can you talk about any of the cases that you're currently working on? Um, 
I have a non-disclosure agreement in place, so uh-huh. I, I okay. can't really can't say much of anything. Um, you know, the lab that I work for, again, Bodhi Technology, they're one of the labs that, you know, we don't speak on what we're working on unless the law enforcement partner chooses to want to work on, you know, to announce that. So I wish I could because I could sit here all day long and tell you the wonderful, <laughs> exciting things I've seen, but um, I do have a non-disclosure uh, for the cases I've worked. Okay, and that's that's interesting to know, but I, that that's totally understandable because you work with a lot of delicate information, and in addition to that, I mean, not delicate in terms of just you know the the people information that you, you come across, of, but you know it, when they're trying to uh, resolve certain cases, if information leaks out, then that might hinder or, or hamper the resolution in some way. So yeah, I understand that. Yeah, so. Absolutely. You know, some of the cases yeah, I've worked on, some of them have gone, like, as far as the criminal cases, they've gone to trial and the person has been convicted. Um, so those are, you know, a little less dangerous. But then there's other ones that uh, are still up for trial. And so, you know, things like that are kept quiet unless, you know, we're ordered to speak from the attorneys or things along that line until until all of the court cases and the appeals go through. And of course, we do a lot of Jane and John Doe cases too. So we work hard to give people back, you know, their names. Um, Some of those cases can be, you know, really challenging. Um, You know, we have a lot of, or I've been a part of a lot of Jane and John Doe cases that were clearly um, the person was an immigrant, you know, and trying to be able to identify who they are and then contact their family can be quite challenging. Because the databases that we're permitted to use for forensic genetic genealogy often aren't uh, high um, or rich with people who, you know, immigrant families, people who have never been in the U.S., you know, they don't have their samples in there, and it's hard to um, identify who the Jane and John Doe's are. So some of the cases can be, you know, really heartbreaking um, with some of the things that we've seen. And, but it, it also is very rewarding when we have someone that we can identify and we can return them to their family if it was a Jane or John Doe case. Um, you know, I can talk about one case I remember um, and share. I worked with the Porchlight Project. They're out of Ohio. Porchlight mm-hmm. Project raises funds for uh, DNA. And in Ohio, they had found bones in a barn. And it was determined that it was not a criminally active case. They didn't think there was any uh, unusual foreplay, like any uh, unusual circumstances. So law enforcement said, you know, we don't think this is a criminal case. So the Porchlight Project raised the funds to do the DNA testing on the bones and everything. And it turned to be one of the oldest cases I had ever uh, worked on ended up being the bones were from a young lady who died at the age of 18 in the 1880s. So it was like, you know, a hundred, yeah, a hundred and whatever, 40 some years ago she had died. Um, And strange circumstances, her dad was the head of the infirmary at the time of her death. And we believe our best assumption is at this point that her body was donated to science because the barn where these bones had been found in um, had been owned by the town, like, coroner medical doctor who was a teacher in the medical field. So that's the best connection that we have as to how the bones actually got into the barn. Um, you know, so but stuff like that, it's, you know, really interesting to be able to do it. And, of course, in a case like that, I get to see how anthropologists work because the bones were sent to an anthropologist. 
and I got their reports and I get to read all of that. So I'm not an anthropologist, but seeing the reports of how they date the bones and how they determine, you know, the sex of the bones, all of that is, you know, it's a really amazing process. And, uh, you know, I'm honored to be able to be a part of something like that. Yeah. Um, Anthropology was something that I, I had, I guess you could say, a passing interest in. I just, you know, I, I, I kind of had an interest in it, and then I was like, if I say I want to be an anthropologist, I'm really not sure how people are going to take that, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you want to do what? You know, but, yeah. um, you know, that, that's another, that is another area, though, that could lead right into the path that you're currently on in terms of what you mm-hmm. do too. So you can, you can come at it from so many different uh, perspectives and, you know, just, I guess you end up working together as a team. Like you said, you, you're not an anthropologist, but you were able to take some of that information and work with it. Absolutely. You know, working on a lot of these cases involves quite a few people, you know, from our lab people who extract the DNA from whether they're, you know, extracting it from a bone or they're extracting it from a blood droplet, you know, to the processing of that. And then it has to be sequenced and then it has to be uploaded. And then we work with our law enforcement partners. And in some cases we work with, um, you know, the anthropologists if they have to date something, if the date of something is not necessarily known, especially if it's bones that have been, you know, let's say found in the woods or wilderness for a period of time, then anthropology, you know, takes a look at it and tries to date it and determine what they can about it to give us clues or give us hints and uh, things. So it's, it's really a team of people working together, but I work, you know, at home. So I'm in the comfort of my home doing this, but it really mm-hmm. is a big connected network that it takes in order to uh, give somebody their identification back or to be able to solve a cold case uh, situation. And and it's just interesting. I'm going back to the thinking back how you were just trying to help your dad and, you know, the the taking of, of Russian and, the, you know, to, to be able to, to help your dad and how that has just translated over the years into uh, what you're doing now. So, um, so. I guess, like I said, I'm a student, you know, and, and you were talking about, uh, you know, taking the basic classes, which, you know, there's a lot of that going on. But is should there be something that maybe a, a parent or uh, another relative or whatever can identify in a particular child and say, hmm, there might be a potential to go this particular route um, and maybe encourage them to, to do certain things, like you said, meet people, taking them to meet people. I know for myself, when I was first um, uh, interested uh, years back in going into uh, broadcasting and, and communications and writing and stuff like that, my dad, he was doing some different community work or whatever. He ended up meeting someone at one of the television stations who ended up getting me in to take a tour of the television station and getting me to learn, you know, who does what, where. And that that was very helpful in determining if it was something that I wanted to go forward with, you know, or, you know, saying no, you know, because I think uh, that exposure is quite necessary, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, if somebody, if this sounds really 
fun or enjoyable and somebody's interested in learning more about it, honestly, the best thing really is the Orange County Library System where I get to work with patrons. So, because uh, you have to do anything in this field, if you want to be a forensic genetic genealogist, you have to know the genealogy and then you learn the genetics. And I teach all of my Orange County Library System classes online. There's classes on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Tuesdays are at 1 o'clock. Wednesdays are at 6.30, and Thursdays are at noon. And the classes are all listed on the Orange County Library System website, which is OCLS.info, I-N-F-O. And I have anything you want to know from DNA to basic genealogy to all of those sources I've mentioned, census records, vital records, probate records, I have classes on all of that. So that might be, you know, if somebody wants to think about getting into this field, they might be able to start with, if it, you know, if it's a young person, high school person, early college, start by trying to do their own family genealogy and see how it works for them. And they can learn how to do that by attending the classes. Classes are free. Um, you know, just sign in when we're giving them. You do have to sign up in advance, so we send you the link. Um, I start a series I do twice a year. It's called Finding Your Roots. I'll be doing it again starting at the beginning of September. It runs for 10 weeks. So it is a 10-week class that covers all of those basic record groups in genealogy, tells you how to work with the records, how to find them, where they are aligned, things like that. And I also do a lot with DNA. I do teach how to, you know, the basic DNA um, we just are in the middle right now of a genetics uh, genealogy foundation series where we talked about Y DNA, which is what men have, the Y chromosomes. We're talking about coming up tomorrow night will be mitochondrial DNA, which is testing on the mitochondria. And then, of course, the big one that we all mostly do by ancestry and all of that, which is autosomal DNA, which looks at the 22 autosomes, uh, pairs of autosomes that we have. Um, so I teach all of those skills. So if the example you gave, like kind of dabbling or just being exposed to it to see if you're interested in it, you can do that. You can take these classes through the Orange County Library System. They're free of charge, and it gives you an idea, yeah, this is for me, or yeah, I don't think so. Um, so that, that's one good way to explore it. I always say we have one of the best library systems. Um, it's, a, it's really the only one that I know, but it, there is there is a lot that we have with our library system. I, you know, I always say, you know, you, you we're really fortunate here in Orange County because there is so much. When I was first learning, for example, <laughs> Facebook, uh, that my uh, producer, Princess, uh, encouraged me to do when I was starting the show, well, you know, I had no clue. and actually was a little bit uh, Facebook averse, but I took the Facebook classes that they had at my, you know, local branch, and you know, it was like, oh, okay, this is how you set it up. This is what you do. This is what you can and can't do. Um, and so it helped me. But I mean, we do have a lot to offer with our library system here in Central Florida. So um, I encourage everybody we to, to, you know, and like you said, if if you are a taxpayer here in Central Florida, it's free. Um, in Orange County, and even if you're not in Orange County, you there's a way to still access some of what Orange County has, I think, for a small fee, from what I understand. Too. Right. The genealogy classes, um, you, as long as you're in Florida, you don't have to be in Orange County to attend my genealogy classes. So if you're in oh, the wow. to Florida, 
they can attend. Now, some of our other things are other classes. Yes, you're correct. You have to have a card. You have to be, you know, taxpayer or own property in Orange County for some of the other things. But, you know, mm-hmm. I do – the Orange County library system is just absolutely phenomenal because, like I said, they, they offer so much for everybody on everything. Like, even my work that I do, you know, my forensic stuff I do on the side, I've had to learn how to read Spanish. I'm not a Spanish speaker. But I've had to learn how to read some of the old handwritten, like Mexican records, records from El Salvador, uh, records from um, uh, Guatemala and some of the other places. Guess where I learned from enough Spanish to be able to read those? The library. You know, we have mm-hmm. Spanish-speaking classes. We have other language classes. And we have a lot of resources in our online databases. So there's just so much there, um, you know, even – it's a good thing even with the career topic that we're focused on today, there's a lot of things that students and young people can go and explore uh, at the library to be exposed to a variety of different things as well. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's just interesting to me how it's evolved because I remember when I was um, a little girl and my mom used to go, I liked ballet and she used to go rent films like Swan Lake and some of the, and the Nutcracker and some of those other ones and bring them home and, show them up, you know, on the old uh, film projectors up on the wall and stuff like that. You know, so she started me earlier with the books and the films and everything. And just the fact that now you don't have to, you don't have to leave the comfort of your own home <laughs> to take right? advantage. And there's so much more now, you know, it's it's just absolutely. fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to take our final yeah. break. We're here with Allison Ryle. And uh, we are talking about different career paths this week. And so if you have questions for Allison, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tim Garris, and I think I found a way to help you understand what is Chill Out Jazz. Some of y'all may It is what it is. Is it Tune in every Wednesday night at 10 on K-Ham Radio. This is Douglas Dobbs, owner and funeral director at Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community with two generations of family funeral service. With the recent addition of my son Brandon, we are here to take care of the needs of Central and West Orlando. From simple cremation to a full burial, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here to help you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway. Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And, you know, this week we are focusing on various careers and career paths um, with uh, school coming in. So we kind of want to help steer our young people in, in terms of finding the right classes, you know, looking, you know, making the right connections, as Allison has mentioned. Um, it's just so important. Uh, we have a couple of people that are coming back this week to kind of help us with that. Um, uh, immigration attorney Nadine Brown is going to be on with us this week, as well as sociologist Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin. And so and we'll have some others, so you know, make sure you stick with us. We might even um, extend this into next week. Um, we actually do have uh, civil rights attorney um, 
uh, oh gosh, I can't, Kevin Anderson, I don't know why his name left me, uh, who is going to be on next Tuesday. I'm going to ask him some questions about his career, but the topic that he's going to address is do students have civil rights. We are going to talk a little bit about that then. But in the meantime, we're back with Allison Ryle, who is a forensic genetic genealogist. And if you have questions in the few minutes we have left, the number is 516-387-1944. So, uh, Allison, what other types of advice do you have? You were talking about you have children of your own. Have you tried to steer them into your career, or what do you see in terms of when they're making career choices? Uh, have they talked about their career choices? I don't know how old your children are, but. Allison? For me? Hello? Hello? Hi, yes. Okay, there you there go. There we go. Sorry, I was. I think you had me muted. Okay. I have four children. They range from age 20 to 32 at this point in time. Um, okay. And the older, the oldest three kind of have gone and done their own thing. Um, my Nothing I said really affected them. They pursued what they <laughs> wanted to do, and they are each successful in their own way. My youngest, my daughter, just graduated from uh, Florida Institute of Technology this past May, and she got her degree in forensic psychology. So she's always been kind of interested in what I do, but she's never wanted to work with the DNA end of it. She doesn't really want to do genealogy so much. Um, but she had taken a – the class that impacted her was she took an AP psychology class when she was in high school. And that was just a phenomenal teacher who just kind of opened up her eyes to all different types of things that can be done with psychology. And, of course, one of those was forensic psychology, which is where psychology and the law kind of intersect. And that's what she chose to pursue her uh, bachelor's in. And now she's moving on to her master's at UCF. She'll be going to University of Central Florida, and she's going to get a master's in criminal justice. And she knows she's very interested in being, like, doing stuff with homicide, homicide detective, or family. She's not 100% sure exactly what she wants yet. And I think that's probably the thing that's hard for a lot of families is young adults you know, when you go into college, you're kind of forced. You've got to pick a degree, and you've got to, you know, but not everyone knows what they want to do at the age of 19 or 20. And I look at where right. I was at 20, and I'm now in my 50s. Where I am now, that's just like two totally different worlds. Um, oh, yeah. So it's really hard. It's Don't feel, you know, a lot of kids feel pressured by that. My suggestion is pick something that you're really interested in that's going to help you get through college because if if you hate what you're doing, you're not going to make it through. So find something that you do have a passion for, you know, and, again, just get out there and get to know people, and it will eventually all fall into place and come together for you. But don't, don't become paralyzed by, oh, my goodness, I have to make a decision and I just don't know what I want to do which I think was the biggest struggle with my, with my daughter. You know, she just really wasn't so sure on what she wanted to do. And she liked things, but nothing lit her up until she took the psychology class. And then she got really excited about forensic psychology. And even then there were lots of tears through the college years. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think that's part of the growing process, you know, but she's on the other side of it now and she's come into her own and, she got to volunteer with a couple police departments, um, loved what she saw. So, it, you know, that volunteering again for her getting out there and 
Um, you know, she, the sergeant of the police department she was at, now when she needs recommendations, like she's going to be attending a homicide conference in October, and she needed proof that she's worked with law enforcement, even though she's still a student. So, of course, he endorsed her and recommended her for the conference. So it's who you know, you know, it, because you've put in the time. So, you know, grow, water that side of yourself and your career as well as the, you know, classroom education as well. That is so cool. I'm glad that that worked out for her. Uh, so, and you know, the, the other thing too, in terms of the college thing, uh, let's let's not put the pressure uh, because I know it's just like we we keep talking about a four year degree. Let's not put the pressure, leave the pressure on, you know, our young people to have to get through it in four years if it's if the more time is needed. You know, just saying. You know, uh, you know, I didn't uh, get my degrees until I, I was in my 30s when I got my degrees. I started in my 20s. I did not finish. Life happened. I had jobs. I had kids. But I went back to school in my 30s. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's, there's different ways to accomplish this. And I think that's the one thing, you know, just families and kids need to know. It's not like, oh, my goodness, we graduated from high school. We have to do a four-year degree. You know, you can yeah. ebb and flow through it. You can have a plan. There's different ways to go through life and still be successful. Definitely. Definitely. So, well, so, so what's, your, what's, your, what's your next step in your career? <laughs> um, <laughs> just, I'm trying to keep trying to keep everything going right now I think is the mm-hmm. is the challenge you know having my uh irons in so many different fires um you know but for me the main thing is I love what I'm doing so I jump out of bed in the morning and I'm excited to go do it with everything that I have my hands in and that's I think for you know if you're trying to find a career path or, or your future try to find something that's going to make it so when you get out of bed in the morning, you're excited. So you're not laying there putting the covers going, I don't want to do this. Nobody wants to be in an I don't want oh. to do this for their life. And, yeah. I, you know, and that's the one thing I truly love about all of my work in genealogy. It's never boring. It's different every day. I'm working either on different cases or with different patrons at the library. I never know what my patrons are going to bring to me. I've had problems from all parts of the world, all races, all ethnicities, all different time periods. So it's constant learning and it's diversity, and I just love doing it, you know, and it, it's, that's the important thing. Find something you love that you're going to be excited about. Well, I really appreciate you um, sharing your enthusiasm with us today. Thank you for for volunteering to step up and and share your career path with everybody. And and, and like I said, I I know I'm like, hmm, <laughs> you know, maybe I do need to go mm-hmm. back to school and take some classes because <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you never know. We you know we are, we think our lives are supposed to be this predictable thing, and we just never know where the next step takes us in like you were talking about being in the right place at the right time because if I wasn't I wouldn't have had this podcast I have to tell you that right now so that that's mm-hmm. the way that worked for me as well so Allison right. thank you, have you to so do the much work. yeah yeah you're quite welcome Definitely. you're welcome all right have a blessed day and thank you all, all right, for you listening too. this this has been G's Power Hour I've never had it so good entertainment be well be safe be blessed Keep your minds open, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.